I'm Liana. And I'm Sam. And welcome to On Thursdays We Thrive podcast. We're just two Long Island licensed therapists who want to sit down and have real conversations about mental health, therapy, and just getting through the damn day. Have a seat and get ready to thrive, learn, explore, and grow with us. Hello, and welcome back to On Thursdays We Thrive. I'm Liana. And I'm Sam. And just a disclaimer, even though we are licensed therapists, our podcast is to provide psychoeducation and expressing our own experiences. Therefore, it is not a substitute for individual mental health therapy. So we had so much time, so much fun speaking with Antonio last week for all of you that tuned in to our discussion about relationships, communication, boundaries, and other potential issues, as well as resolutions in a relationship. So we wanted to take a step further and discuss some codependency issues that we might be having, not only in our intimate relationships, but even with family members or within ourselves. But before we get into that, we're going to begin with some glows and grows. So we started that last week. And for those of you who didn't tune in, glows is something during the week that we did really well and that we're happy about or just some positive energy from the last week. And grows is maybe something that we can work upon noticing something that we would like to improve in our lives. So Sam, what's your grow? My grow, I would have to say, and this has been an everlasting issue, but I think (laughs) more specifically now is getting more sleep. Mm -hmm. I definitely need to prioritize that more. And yeah, that needs to be a major focus for me. It can be so tough. I hear a lot of people struggling with that. I mean, I know for me, I'm always on my phone before bed and swimming mm-hmm. on top. So it's so easy to get away from that. My grow is I've been going to a really awesome uh, small group classes gym mm. and it's high intensity or interval training and I'm obsessed with it. Um, but noticed that like I've it's been a while since I've worked out in front of a mirror obviously and I can get so distracted of looking at myself in the mirror rather than how the workout is feeling so I started this week by turning myself around so I'm not looking at the mirror during certain during certain exercises and I found that that was extremely beneficial because I was able to focus on that mind muscle connection rather than just staring at myself that's a great idea I think a lot of people struggle with that and it's definitely regardless of what it means to be distracted if it's an insecurity mm-hmm. or just like I'm just not in the workout I'm kind of focused on yeah my hair or whatever is it's just bringing you back into the mindset of I need to get stronger I want to finish this workout mm-hmm. get a better time if it's if it has to do with that I think that's a great great idea yes I find that it's allowing me to be more present which is a yeah, it's tough to do nowadays, but so mm-hmm. I'm every chance I can get. I so, love that. On a different note, what's your glow? Hmm. My glow. The first thing that comes to mind is that I was able to spend a lot of time with my family over the past week and weekend, and it was really nice out. So yeah. got some vitamin D and spent some quality time with my family. So. That's definitely a glow for me. I feel like usually I'm so busy mm-hmm. and we don't see certain people as much as we could. And um, especially from everything going on with COVID recently, it's been kind of hard. So I'm really grateful for that. 
Nice. Yeah, it was so nice out today. We're finally in May, so hopefully it'll just keep getting warm. Yes, I hope so. What's your glow? My glow is, as I've shared, since I'm getting married and with the recent guidelines, it was supposed to be reduced to 150 people. And so that meant that we were going to cut 100 people from our list. So recently that got removed. So now that we can have a full wedding and we don't have to cut any people. So we are so excited. And now we feel like we can actually like really be excited because it's not that we weren't excited. It was kind of just like living in this gray area, this uncertainty. And now we can actually like have this vision in our mind of what our wedding was always going to be like. So we're so No, that's so exciting. I love that for you. Yeah, yeah. So um, if anyone else is going through this wedding journey, please feel free to slide into our DMs at Thursday. <laughs> at On Thursdays We Thrive. I want to hear your wedding, COVID wedding journeys. <laughs> but we're going to transition into our topic for today, which is codependency, um, which I actually just did an Instagram live with recently with Gordon Gooding. He is the owner of Gooding Wellness and Long Island Teletherapy, which are private practices here in Long Island out of Cold Spring Harbor. And then Long Island Teletherapy is a teletherapy only practice, which I have the pleasure of being a part of. So we did an Instagram live recently on codependency. And I found that it's such a helpful topic to really get out there because I think a lot of us can identify with it. Absolutely. So we're going to get into that. And for those of you who don't know what codependency means, it can be seen in a lot of our emotions and our behaviors with other people. So whether it's, you know, people pleasing, whether we Mm -hmm. want to avoid getting in conflicts with other people because we don't want any problems or we need approval from others to gain confidence, Mm -hmm. right? So we're going to deep dive into that uh, in after we take this quick break. All right, so we are going to first get into some signs of codependency. So the beliefs that we may hold that lead to codependent behaviors and where these beliefs may come have come from. Yeah, so we're going to segue into the relationship between codependency and addiction later on. And then to end things out, we're going to leave some strategies to help you guys relieve some codependent behaviors that may not be serving you. Yes. So some potential signs of codependency. So first off is you tend to love people that you can pity and rescue. So meaning that we feel that we can save people. So some people like to be the healer or someone who sees a potential person that they can shed light on and I can, or will hear often, I can fix them. Mm -hmm. I can change them. We have that hope for change many times and possibly making that the reason for staying in many relationships. Yes. Whenever we see like a pattern of relationships, if like maybe if we think back to our relationships and all of our partners have been in a difficult place and we were kind of trying to quote unquote fix them or care Mm -hmm. for them and being that caregiver that could be a sign and that could also lead into feeling responsible now for those people's reactions so 
if we're in a relationship with someone who's doing something in front of friends that we're not proud of, and now we feel like we have to justify their behaviors to our friends around us. Oh, he's just kidding. They're just joking because maybe we don't know how to leave that relationship. Maybe we're scared to leave it. Maybe we don't even see that as an option. So we feel stuck. Right. And the other side of that too is if we're not making excuses for them behind closed doors, we're kind of pulling that rope to be Mm -hmm. like, you have to get here. We have to get you here. And, you know, you can't fail this class or you can't not get this job. You can't succeed in this job because then it's going to reflect on us or me or whatever that may be. So there's that one side that you said of, oh, he's kidding. Or he yelled at me like that. Just, oh, he's, it doesn't really matter he just likes to joke like that. He really loves me, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And then the other side is behind closed doors, that person's coming off maybe aggressive in the sense, because they're worried about how they might be perceived if this person doesn't succeed themselves, their partner. Yes. And what I see in both of those examples that we just said is that one partner is trying to control the other. Right. Right. It's seen when let's say one partner, if one of you guys is doing more than the other partner, for that relationship, whether it's, I don't know, simple, like making plans or doing acts of service for the other partner, like really putting thought into the relationship and the other person is not really pulling their weight and, and putting their effort into that relationship. Yes. And then we become resentful of that other person and we'll continue to put in more effort to it, but sometimes it doesn't always come out in the most pleasant way. Yes. And another sign that we discussed in the episode three with Antonio, which I think a lot of us can identify with is being afraid to be alone Mm -hmm. and single. And sometimes that brings up a really uncomfortable feeling of being, of adjusting to change. Yeah. A lot of times we see people remaining in a relationship, not just solely you know, what we hear most often of abuse and fear to leave because they're afraid of their own safety, but also that they're just afraid of the unknown. Yes. The unknown. Everyone will stay in, not everyone, that's bad to say. So many individuals will stay in a unhealthy relationship if it means not being alone. Right. And they'll make it work for, or they'll try to make it work for so many years in the hopes that again, that it'll change. And, but are we even happy where we are or are we just afraid that fear, fear does so much to us, right? Yeah. And we'll just stay there for the sake of comfort, being in that comfort zone. Definitely. Definitely. And then that kind of leads into feeling responsible for our partner's happiness, right? So let's say if our partner is in a really bad mood one day, they wake up and they're just in a bad mood. We immediately think, okay, what did I do? Did I say something to them last night? Did I text them? Did they look through my phone and find something? Like we just, we just think that it has to be us. Right. Sometimes I, it's my problem. Like you just said, it's my job to make sure that I'm fulfilling the needs of my partner. And that's not true. The next piece of this is us needing approval from others to gain our own self-worth. So we see this in a lot of personality traits that we feel if we don't fulfill 
someone's worth or we are not helping them in some way. So kind of like the first point that we made. Mm. If we're not helping them in some way or they're not saying like, oh, thank you. So let's pretend that you want to be that rescuer. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for always being that amazing friend. Thank you so much for being this. We're kind of not getting that praise from them. For validation. Right. That could be an example of this, of then I'm not worth it. Or in a romantic partnership, what if it's something of, you know, maybe we have different love languages and one partner is kind of sticking their hand out to always be there. Like you were saying before, they're putting in maybe more effort and we're not getting that validation of being grateful for it they're like oh thanks like right that's nice and we kind of feel like oh well what the heck was that for then why did I go through all this trouble to do that and we feel like very low it's kind of like that's the defining factor of our worth if someone's gonna give us that praise or not right and that's the severity of this that it defines our worth right of course I think anyone would be a little disappointed if they didn't get what they were expecting But then it goes like that next step further of I feel just so worthless because, right? right? So, and then that kind of goes into the next one with, well, actually, I don't know if anyone has that friend, let's say that. I was just thinking. Right? Like, let's say if we're in a group and we're saying, hey, where do you guys want to go for dinner tonight? And this person just never gives you any answers, right? Like, we actually really want to know what you think. (laughs) <laughs> but just really has a hard time making decisions or maybe they really doubt themselves. And when we doubt ourselves, we lack confidence. Yes. So should I do this? We're constantly asking for approval or validation or permission to do things that we really want rather than being confident and saying, I want to do this. What do you yes. think? I was also thinking when you said like, I don't know if we have this friend, I was thinking immediately of like, sending pictures of outfits in a group chat yeah like can I wear this can I not wear this can I wear this and it's like I can't decide maybe until someone responds until everyone in the group chat's on the same page or whatever it may be for us but that's kind of like you know I can't move on unless you decide or you know can I date this person unless you like it yes right what does everyone think yeah Right. And, you know, rather than feeling confident, hey, I know this is a good partner. I know that I feel comfortable with them. I've gotten some positive feedback, but I know I feel good about this. Yes. So the next one is your moods are controlled by the thoughts and feelings of those around you. So, yeah, we can empathize. Mm -hmm. But am I able to separate myself from my own mental health and my partner? Right. Like if my partner comes home or a friend, let's say, is in a really bad mood, we can say, hey, like, what's going on? How can I support you? But now what happens to my mood from that? Am I able to separate what they have going on from now my own stuff? Right. So how do we know if we exhibit some of these signs, right? We might be hearing this and say, I don't know, maybe I do, maybe I don't. So we're going to get a little bit more specific and also touch on maybe some places that these could stem from because there's always a cause as we've discussed to our behaviors. Right. So some core beliefs, right. Of how are these beliefs created also? So I can't trust my own reality 
and feel I may be quote unquote crazy or confused around the actual truth. Yes. And that is gaslighting, right? Mm. They were with a partner or with a friend who is invalidating our feelings, but we feel so strongly about it, but they just keep invalidating it and making us feel like our feelings are wrong. We start to question ourselves. It's for psychology. It's wild. Like it's no big deal. Right. Am I overreacting? Should I be even saying this? And it happens so often. So that's a big one. That's a red flag in a relationship. Definitely. PSA. The next one is the way people feel about me is how I perceive myself. So although we kind of just touched on that above, like how it's controlled by the, like how we're validated Mm -hmm. is this is our core belief. So this is the thought that we don't actually say in our head or we are acknowledging that we're saying in our head. It's our subconscious is saying this in our head and that's how we're protecting our actions. So if I'm insecure about my weight, I believe everyone notices that. Yes. Or if I'm insecure about my nose, I mm-hmm. think that everyone thinks that I need a nose job. Right. Whatever it may be, right? Nose. Exactly. And it's, or sometimes we notice that people are complimenting, cert- complimenting certain things that we're insecure about. And we're like, oh, they're just saying that. Mm. They're just saying that to be nice. They really think I'm obese or something, you know, whatever our core belief is telling us. And again, that's how we're going to act on the outside. So the way we portray ourselves on the outside is how we're going to make other people notice things. So we might say things like, oh, I know I gained so much weight. Or I know the shirt is really ugly. I know my nose is so big. Oh, just delete that picture. Oh, I'm going to ruin every picture. And we're already putting it out there before anyone even said anything. So now we're kind of drawing attention to it. And that's validating our own negative belief about ourselves. Yes. Wow. I love that. How you brought that back to it ends up validating that, that negative core belief. And then we just keep going around in that cycle. Yes. All the time. We always do that. And we don't notice that we're doing that right away, but it's our defense mechanism to be like, if I say it before they say anything, then it's already like, I know it. So they don't have to say it. I used to tell people like, oh, by the way, I have this pimple right here. Yes. That's (laughs) yes. (laughs) So the next one is I feel quote unquote selfish to create boundaries. So such as saying no or putting myself first and worrying about my own needs. So we can kind of bring this into childhood. Don't you think? Yes, this is a huge, huge one. I've heard people say it's selfish to even compliment myself. I I can't believe how selfish it is nowadays for us to even be kind to ourselves. So I've seen this where let's say, and this can be an extreme version, but if we're parentified as a child, let's say if our parents weren't really emotionally or physically present, and now we had to be that parent for our siblings, we are constantly focusing on our siblings rather than putting the focus on ourselves. So then as we grow up, we are constantly putting that attention on other people rather than caring for ourselves because we never really formally learned to do that. And that can be seen anywhere, right? If let's say we were taught that telling ourselves we did, did a good job was selfish. Well, what's going to happen when we go to college and do a really great pro- project Mm-hmm. And got a good grade on it. Are we going to be able to validate that? Probably. Right. 
And you know what is actually interesting that I just thought of is mm-hmm. I've seen it not that they're like, well, nothing ever happened to me in childhood. Like, yeah. no, nothing traumatic. I was never abandoned. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, were you validated? Yeah. Were your friends really there for you even? And so if they weren't, if their friends weren't maybe there for them, and then maybe their parents were half present mm-hmm. <laughs> or something, or maybe not completely emotionally available, you know, it's that plays a major role into it too is our friends as well like just the things that we grew up around in childhood maybe it was some uh, like teachers maybe it was the type of school that we were in that we were constantly put down about something I think it all plays a major role so you're saying basically every interaction that we Mm -hmm. prime stages of development will never leave us and it's our job to kind of notice them and do what we can to fix them yes and like you said the way that we receive love, the emotional availability of others, the affection that we receive, that is how actually our brain develops, our emotional brain, and how we learn to love and what we think we're worthy of receiving. So another piece of this is if I want to feel wanted, important, or worthy, I attempt to rescue or fix other people's problems or enable hurt behaviors hurtful behaviors. So mm-hmm. example, like I'm responsible for other people's emotions. So we are unable to have conflicts around us, even if it's a maybe a fight with a friend or mm-hmm. we just try to become avoidant of that. But if I want to feel like I know we said that earlier in our signs of this, but this is our again, our core belief. So we're mm-hmm. not totally aware that this is happening inside our brain. But this is like how we portray things around us, how we act on things. So unless I help someone else, I'm unworthy. Unless I, unless I get that validation from someone, I'm unworthy. And I shouldn't, I don't deserve friends. I don't deserve a relationship. I don't deserve love. Right. Yes. And even going to what you said about having conflicts with friends, it's like that need for things to just like be okay. And I say like, I got to keep the peace. And that can happen if let's say we grew up in a house where there's a lot of chaos going on in the home. But then as soon as you leave the home, it's like, no, we're okay. Everything is great. Everyone's doing well. But then who knows what's really going on in the inside. So then we grow up to realize and practice the idea that we cannot be arguing. We have to keep everything okay. And we are we have a really difficult time with just plain old confrontations. Yeah. And also what you're saying I'm hearing is like, we have to hide that we're fighting. Yeah. In that household. So now mm-hmm. it's almost it's a forbidden thing or sinful, if I may, that we're fighting. We can't let other people know. So that's constantly teaching that person to hide every time they feel that anger emotion. Yes. Yeah. But again, we're enabling hurtful behaviors for I'm responsible for my parents. Example, like I'm responsible for my parents emotions if they're fighting we might think. And I can't tell anyone that they're fighting, even though it's hurting me, whatever it may be. But if that's happening at such a young age, or really any age, Mm -hmm. but especially at a young age, because that's when we're still like learning our own emotions. But again, you could still be learning emotions as an adult if it wasn't, (laughs) if it wasn't enforced younger. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think that's, these are great core beliefs and how we identify 
codependency and where it comes from. Yeah. So when we come back, we're going to take a little different route because we've gotten some interest from you guys about addiction. So we're going to express or discuss how codependency and addiction intertwine with one another. And we're back. So we're going to deep dive into codependency and relationships and how it impacts addiction, vice versa. And let's say if addiction's not something that's apparent in your life right now, thank God, you can replace it with any other big issue that maybe doesn't align with your values, whether it is someone that struggles with severe mental illness Mm -hmm. or someone in your life that maybe isn't getting a job or supporting themselves the way that you would or they quote unquote should. So you can replace that with anything. So when we go into addiction, the first thing I want to say is that everyone in the family has a role. It is not just the addict or alcoholic. That is the quote unquote problem child or family member. Okay. So what roles do people play in the family and how can it be different from one another? Yeah. So everyone in the family is impacted is family disease. So there's one or more people, per, people in the family dynamic that is probably enabling that addict or alcoholic. And then there could be another family member that might be trying to set boundaries with the addict or alcoholic. Mm. So for example purposes, let's name the mom Paula and the, the addict Maria. And we have... Paula just continuing to let Maria use in the house or drink in the house, even though Paula has expressed that she doesn't want that to happen, but she's really not taking any actions, even though it's really bothering her. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when we love someone so much, right, we deeply care about them. We feel like setting boundaries or being quote unquote mean as people think it is, will protect them from their addiction that, I'm sorry, that enabling will be protecting them from their addiction. So I've heard people say, well, I'd rather them use in the house than use out on the streets, which I could see. But then how is that impacting the family? How is it impacting you? What really what damage is really being caused here? So another example of of this dynamic is, let's say, someone pays off their partner's debt from their gambling addiction, right? That person might think, oh, well, I'm helping them. They can get their credit score back up. Mm -hmm. But in essence, you're now saving them, right? Like that goes back to the caregiver, the saving, the fixing. Yeah, of course, you're quote unquote, wiping away the problem. Not really the problem, I guess, just the impacts, but it still doesn't stop it from happening. Mm -hmm. So what would you tell um, a caretaker? That may feel like it's better to get something that they know, like if it's drugs, for example, if they're like, well, I'll get you the oxy because at least it's not something that's laced that you're getting off the street. So they feel like they're maybe helping them in the way, like keeping the drug safer than getting something that is laced and they're doing it on their own. What would we maybe suggest to a parent like that or a caretaker? I can definitely understand that. I understand that reasoning because there are many overdoses, but it doesn't stop that person from using and it doesn't stop from the damage being done. 
And also I would ask that mom or caretaker, how is this impacting you though? How are you feeling about this? And I still don't hear any boundaries being set in place. So what boundaries can we implement with this person? And also it could be really tough for that caretaker to be on their own. If if Maria's on, or Paula's on their own, that's so hard to set boundaries. So we need to have support first. I would want Paula to identify some support networks to help set these boundaries. Because it sounds like Paula's kind of like, weaseling her way around the boundary that just needs to be put in place. Um, Right. And then the caretaker feels like they're responsible for continually doing this. So that's why these, like you just said, the boundaries need to be set in place because it'll only snowball and get worse, you know, especially because this is like a, this is a mental illness that we have going on. So we can't just say snap out of it and, you know, there's withdrawal into this and et cetera, which we don't have to get into, but this is going to progress. Yes. 110%. And another example of this is codependent caretakers may justify justification and rationalization plays a huge role here. Mm -hmm. May justify the partner's drinking or drug use by saying, Oh, they just had a stressful day. And maybe that's what Maria is saying too, I just had a stressful day, mom. Let me just do this. Let me just have a beer. Let me just do X, Y, Z when we know it's not just going to be one beer. And so then Maria gets what she wants and Paula is allowing it to happen by kind of feeding into what the disease is telling us that, oh, we're just using it to relax. Mm -hmm. If person A tells you no 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 I'm just trying to relax like this is it's no big deal I would want to know what else can you do to relax because I get it like we all have to relax but if let's say Paula the mom or caretaker doesn't want Maria to drink or drug she's not saying don't relax and chill after work right but can you do something else because again I don't want you to do anything in the house that I don't approve of. We're still maintaining that boundary. Right. Most important thing is maintaining the boundary we, boundary we set because boundaries protect ourselves. Right. I think that's a great thing to say about this. And I feel like we hear that a lot. And that's why a lot of caretakers will fall back into it and kind of, I don't want to say given because it's a very difficult process, but they kind of fall back into that way of like wanting to give and help they're just trying to help in that way like how can I help my child I want them to be happy yeah it's the fixing and when we again it goes back to enabling is not helping them Mm. and that goes into when let's say Paula is frequently apologizing to repair the relationship caused by Maria's drug and alcohol use So it's so common to, again, want to keep the peace, make sure everything's okay and pretend everything is okay on the outside, even though it's it's chaotic on the inside. And you know what, Liana, I can honestly imagine how hard this must be for a parent to feel like, yeah, I can feel, I can empathize in this. I'm not a parent and nor has this happened, but just in the sense of maybe that, child who's the addict is blaming like you're the reason why I am this way you're the reason I'm insecure and feel I need to use drugs 
you're the, you know, you and dad's divorce or whatever it may mm-hmm. be. This is what led me here. You didn't pay enough attention to me. So the parent may have that uh, feel that they have this obligation to help them. And, and I hear a lot of gaslighting in that, mm. which is very common when it comes to the disease of addiction. And I would encourage that caretaker to become educated on addiction or become educated on any issues that maybe someone we love is struggling with, Right. whether our loved one is struggling with depression or anxiety or gambling or any other type of addiction, becoming educated on it because we have to become educated on how to cope with it as well. The last point that we want to get into is finance, financial loaning money. So caretakers may risk their own financial future by loaning money to their partner or to their child, whoever it is to cover debts from substance abuse or any other addiction. And again, it's kind of keeping the peace, ridding the problems, quote unquote, and but we're not stopping the issue. We're not helping them. We're just allowing it to continue. Mm. So yeah, it's kind of like you were saying before, like loaning money. And so I, now I wonder how can we support someone in their recovery? That's not just purely financial. How do we stop maybe giving in order to help them? Mm-hmm. Good po- yeah. Good question. There are so many other ways to support their recovery. Or even if they are not ready to achieve recovery, saying, I will be there for you, whether it's being involved in your treatment or I will go to Al-Anon meetings so I know how to cope with your addiction, whether it's just improving maybe that person's own mental health, getting their own treatment, their own therapy, There are so many other ways to support someone who's using or in recovery than just financial. And if let's say the loved one is struggling to even get a job, helping them fill out um, an application to, to gain employment. There's so many other ways outside of just finances. And you know what this reminds me of is when I work with parents and I hear like kind of buying their Love, in a sense. I don't want to put it that way, but if they maybe aren't present all the time, they have strenuous jobs, they have a lot of things going on, they'll buy a lot of gifts, but they don't realize what they're doing. Yeah. But, you know, it's over time. And then it's like, well, the thing is, and I will say this always, and it kind of applies here in a way, even though we're talking about something a lot more intensive, it does apply in a sense of we feel that by giving money. We feel by giving physical materialistic things that we're doing so much better. But the thing is, people are not going to remember that as much as they're going to remember the emotional support they get, because Mm -hmm. that's what's going to help them grow from this. Yes. I like that a lot. Like you remember the way someone made you feel rather than what you just got from them. Exactly. And coming to those meetings, like you just said, like, I'll go to this with you. Mm -hmm. We will find you a therapist. We will you know, be there for you. We are your family. We love you, you know, things like that. And of course, this is way easier said than done. And yeah, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, more than me working in this field more intensely is that this is a huge, huge process. But that's just a little side piece I wanted to add to this of what's going to be have an everlasting effect rather than just minor band-aids yeah. or little patches that we can put in to the recovery process. Couldn't agree more. hundred percent. 
Um, and, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, my God, I identify with so much of this, rest assured, everyone experiences some codependency to some level. Mm-hmm. It's impossible not to. So that's why, in the, you know, when we come back, we're going to go through some tips and tangible tools for you guys to leave with that could be helpful in any relationship. Okay. So having codependency patterns is nothing to be ashamed of because most of us were raised in homes where possibly family members focused on someone else, mm-hmm. or even if a person engaged in toxic behavior could be in order to get their emotional needs met. So these are things that we have learned. And then we then repeat these patterns in different ways into adulthood. Yeah. So in order to heal from codependency, we must learn some of these tips that Liana and I have put together. These are just some of the many ways. Yeah, we broke down some of the most helpful tips that we found would be very beneficial. And so the first one is starting to be honest with ourselves and our partner, if let's say we have a partner. So whether it's doing things that we do not want to do, not only wastes our time and energy, but it also brings on resentments. So I could imagine if let's say we're saying yes to someone asking something of us, but we really want to say no, nine times out of 10, we're going to feel resentful because we really don't want to do that thing. Yeah. So begin saying things that we, we do not mean only hurts us because we then are living a lie for kind of. So what I can encourage you is being honest in some of our communication patterns and express your needs and desires. And also all the things that we're saying, we know that this is not just, okay, we say it and it's going to (laughs) happen. These are things that take work and time because Mm -hmm. let's think about it. If something developed in childhood and it's progressed to where we are today with the things that we're experiencing, that had to grow into this. Yeah. So obviously it's going to take a long time to grow out of the behavior mm-hmm. or pattern like this. So take this with a grain of salt that things are going to take time to unlearn yes. these negative behaviors or codependency behaviors. And be patient with yourself. Right. Exactly. So the next one is to work on stop negative thinking. So if we catch ourselves when we begin to think negatively, like negative thoughts of, this person's not going to like me if I don't help them or if they don't give me this compliment on their shirt, I'm burning it. So <laughs> if you begin to think that you deserve to be treated badly, catch yourself changing your thoughts. So yeah, I deserve to be hit by my partner because, you know, I, I didn't say thank you or I love you enough. Those are some thoughts that come into people's heads. So mm-hmm. as soon as we start to, I always call it like these interrupting thoughts. I didn't coin the term, but I use that strategy of interrupting thoughts. So as soon as we start to hear something creeping up into our brain of, I don't deserve, cut it off immediately. Recognize it. Yes. Mm -hmm. As if you legitimately are interrupting another person speaking, jump in there with, I do deserve, even if it's, I do, Mm -hmm. I don't, I do. And like get louder, make it bigger, make that positive side of you because I think that there's two sides of us the negative dark cloud and the positive bright light and we can make one shine a lot brighter if we build the positivity in us so the urgency to begin to 
learn positive strategies and have higher expectations of myself. Maybe I can. Maybe I do deserve this. Mm -hmm. I know I deserve this, right? So we have to start where we're at with that. Yes, starting small. Right. And the next one is something that definitely takes, you know, time and work, which is totally okay because we're human, is don't take things personally. It takes a lot of work for a codependent person not to take things personally, especially when in an intimate relationship. So it's about accepting the other person as they are without trying to fix or change them being the first step. And I've heard this phrase that if we're trying, if we're telling someone something to do three times or more, we're trying to change them or control them. And that's where we have to take a step back and recognize what is in our control and what is not. And how can I reach a point of acceptance if I can accept that? Wow. I love that. That's great advice. So the next one I have is to take breaks. So there's nothing wrong with taking a little break from your partner. Even if it's, if you live with them, it could be, I need to walk away for a few moments or a family member. If you're fighting with a parent or, you know, let's take for instance that you're with an elderly parent in a nursing home or something, and you feel like it's really overbearing that you can like, they're still having those abusive tones with you, even in this state of illness, whatever it may be, it's okay to take these breaks, these mental breaks to recollect ourselves for a little bit. If we need to take break, all right, I need a week to kind of get -hmm. myself together. And we kind of need to reestablish like where our goals are, where our relationship is lying and what we actually really want. I think that it's totally necessary for this. So going out with friends right? Brings us back to our center or reminding us of who we are. So if you're separating yourself from a partner for a little bit, then you're like, I need to like hang out with my friends for a while. I need to go out to dinner with them. Like I used to, if we feel like we're in kind of that controlling state of someone separating you from your friends, it's good to kind of just like take a minute to say, okay, where's the old me? How do I find that Mm -hmm. person? How do I recollect myself? So those are a few of various ways, right? of how we could be taking breaks yeah even an easy way is to like not respond to a text message not phone call in that moment if we're not sure what we want to say and maybe we're going to feel inclined to say yes when we really want to say no or say no when we really want to say yes we don't have to answer that phone call or text message right away which is something astonishing because i think a lot of us are compelled to just answer and want to get something out there because we're worried about what that person might think. But I promise that taking that pause makes a huge difference. Absolutely. We might feel like a parent blowing up your phone about their issues that's going on, whatever it may be. It's like, it's okay to be the child and say like, no, I need to take a break. It doesn't mean that we don't love our parent. We don't love that person on the other end, right? We're not, we still worry and care about them, but I need to worry about myself in this moment. I need to take a break from this. It's too much for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Breaks are huge. The next one is relying on peer support. So outside of just our friends and our family members who are supportive, 
don't be surprised, but there is actually a 12 step group for codependent people. And just like Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a support group called Codependence Anonymous or Al-Anon if we're struggling with someone in our family who's an addict or alcoholic. There are 12 step groups to be around other people who identify with us. And it helps us break free of the codependent behavior patterns because we're practicing being around other people, right? So like the more we're around other people, the more we can share our experience and also practice healthier relationship patterns. I think that's great. And if you guys want to reach out to us to find more information about any groups like this, we can help and guide mm-hmm. you. Yes. So if you want to DM us on our Instagram or reach out to us, if you know us personally, we will do our best to help you guys find and connect with people like this, mm-hmm. groups like this. So the last one we have is very important to establish boundaries. Favorite. Yes. Boundaries. So those who struggle with codependency often have trouble with these boundaries, right? So we don't know where our needs begin or where the others end. We often thrive off guilt and feel bad when we don't put the others first. Mm-hmm. So thriving off guilt is not meaning that we love feeling guilty, but we're so also used to it maybe that it's like we feel like this is just how we're supposed to live. And when we don't have it to, we just, we don't feel bad all the time or we're not helping someone in any way. We're not responsible for someone else's life. When we don't have that, we feel like, oh, I'm going to feel empty or I have no purpose. I don't have no worth here. So let's take the example of taking breaks when I, when we mentioned a parent overloading texts or something or a partner overloading texts and or even a friend really anyone yeah and we have them continually just blowing up your phone paragraphs I'm not well I need you and you can't hang out with this person whatever it may be in that case establishing a boundary of look I love you I care about you I'm here for you but I need to take some space. I need you to get your like outside help. I need you to seek mental health professional if it's getting to that point, of course. And I need to do what's best for myself because this is actually beginning to hinder my mental health. And therefore I can't be the person I want to be in your life. You know, mm-hmm. whether that be child, romantic partner, best friend, cousin, dog, <laughs> can't be your dog. So we can't be these people in each other's lives if we're not putting ourselves first. Yes. And if, if you're wondering or worrying that let's say your friend will no longer talk to you because you're putting yourselves first, start to question that, right? Like how come your friend is more worried about, you know, you caring for them than you caring for you. I know that I would want my friends to be the best they can be within themselves. So think about that. So that wraps it up for this episode on codependency. I hope you guys got something out of it. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us, gives us any feedback uh, for future episodes. And follow us on Instagram at On Thursdays We Thrive. And keep thriving. Keep thriving. (laughs) All right, we're going to say it at the same time. Okay, okay. I was like, one, two. Okay. One.
Keep, Keep thriving. thriving.